Father God, we offer our hearts completely to you this morning. Whatever it is that you need to hear it, that we need to hear, Lord, we pray that that is what is spoken. Whatever we need to take today, Lord, we ask that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, we are going to tackle two of the most fundamental questions of all time this morning. Who are we and what do we do? Now, the reason why this is so important to talk about is because in our culture, that's become one question. Who are we is so linked to what we do that sometimes we forget that we are just created to be people and we aren't always, we, we are more than what we do. But for some reason, one of the first questions we ask people when we meet them is, so what do you do? And all of a sudden, that can either do a couple things. That can, in your mind, put them on an equal level with you, or it might make them seem inferior to you. And we tend to judge people based on what they do, because you can do a lot. You can glean a lot about a person based on their occupation, because you can almost figure out their level of education based on what they do. I mean, for instance, if you meet someone who's a teacher, you know they have at least a bachelor's degree. So there's, there's an element of, or when you meet someone who's a doctor, you know the level of education they went through. Lawyers, same thing. So like, there, there's a lot that you can glean about who a person is based on what they do, but not really. There, there are so many times when I'm on a plane that I make a decision when I get on that plane. Do I want to talk to people or do I just want to be left alone? And that, that decision happens every time I get on a plane. And I'll tell you, the best way to be left alone is take your Bible out and put it on the tray table. But it's risky, though, because you may get a Christian that sits by you, and then you're going to be talked to the entire flight. So you, you are taking a gamble. But there have been times that I have taken books on planes, that I've taken the jacket off of the book. Because if you read the jacket of the book, you just know that it's a Jesus-type book. And so I'll take that off or I'll, uh, there are things that I, because here's the problem. Inevitably, if I have a conversation with someone, they're going to ask me what I do. And when I say that I'm a pastor, it is going to invoke some kind of emotional response. Either lack thereof, like, oh, that's not a real job. Or they'll say something like, oh, what's it like to work one day a week? Or it's going to bring up, like, childhood memories of what it was like to go to this maybe not-so-healthy church. Or it'll bring up memories of abuse or ideas of abuse. It's the gamut of all of this stuff, right? Or inevitably, too, that they'll call me father at some point in the conversation. Or they'll ask about, so what's it like to not be married? You know, it's just they, everyone's got this conception of it. I remember there was an interview a while back where... Um, an evangelist was asked, he, he was sharing with how he describes what he does. And, and he, he framed it in a way that he was a global communications advisor. He, he goes to different places and speaks about this, you know, and he, he framed it in like this great entrepreneurial way that I can't possibly do. So th there's this thing that comes with it. You have a stigma attached to you based on what you do. And people are just going to judge that. So Here's the important thing. We, we have to be able to get past this identity of what we do equals who we are because it's completely different. 
I know people at every stage of life that are in all kinds of different jobs that there's no way that someone is better because they do this or because they do this. And it has no reflection on their intelligence, has no reflection on their personality or reflection on their love for Jesus. It is just simply a thing that you do so that your family can eat or so that you can eat. That, that's really what a job is, right? I mean, at the heart of it. Hopefully, hopefully, we get to be part of a vocation that we feel called to and passionate about. That's a good thing. But sometimes, well, all the time, I don't think there's anyone in here that would say you're always passionate about your job. Maybe, maybe some of you are. And if you are, you need to write a book tomorrow and tell all the secrets. But there's always going to be things. There's always going to be days. There's always going to be students. There's always going to be things that just frustrate you. So when you start doing something like linking your identity to what you do, then when you have a bad day, you have a bad day regardless if you're at work or not because it has affected everything you do. I'm going to tell a very anonymous story about my daughter. Whoops. There goes the anonymous part. She's in the nursery. She won't hear it. Emma is a great student, like a, an amazing student. She works hard. She, she pours herself into everything that she does. We didn't realize until recently, though, that she has wrapped her identity up in that as being the good student. I know this is going to sound funny, but it was very traumatic. Last semester, she thought she got a B on her final in math, and she was beside herself, like beside herself. And it's what woke us up, and I said, why is this bothering you so bad? It's a B. I'm telling you, if I would have got a B in math, there would have been a parade. There would have been, <laughs> there would have been zero tears. Well, they'd have been tears, but they'd have been tears of disbelief and joy. She, but she was so wrapped up in the fact that I'm the good student. That's what I am. I'm the one that gets A's. I'm the one that, and, she, and her identity was so wrapped up in the things that she does and not who she is that it ruined her entire perspective. Now, to finish that story, it turns out she got an A on the final and an A for the semester, which always happens when she thinks she got a B. She was so wrapped up in this thing that she's letting everybody down because she is this. And I got to thinking that I think that a lot of us carry that. Like we have this persona, the strong one, the sensitive one, the one that doesn't cry, the one that's always there for everybody else, the, 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 one, that, the one that can just, they can count on me, I'm the rock. The problem with being the rock is what happens when you crumble and you don't allow yourself to because you're the rock. And now all of a sudden you can't mourn. One of the things I never thought that would be a thing until recently was the fact that I don't know how to mourn. Like, I, I don't know how to mourn the death of someone that I'm friends with. Why? Because I'm doing the funeral. Or I'm walking alongside the family. And, and I don't know when I get to do that. When, when is it appropriate for me to be broken? And that's not just a pastoral thing. It happens when you lose a family member or you know someone and, and you, you have to be strong, but you were friends with them too. So how does that happen? Teens, it's like when, you, when you're walking along someone through a breakup and they're just devastated, and you don't know how to, how do you mourn something like that with them, and how, how are you allowed to, when you have to be the one that's always strong, you are the one that's, and we start to link everything to who we are based on these things that we do. I hope the most freeing thing you hear this morning is that you're allowed to be broken, 
that you are allowed to weep, that you don't have to always be strong. I think about the times that Jesus was walking, and people must have just had these expectations of him. I mean, he's the Messiah. And I think that's why John writes in his gospel that he makes sure that we understand that Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. Because he wasn't always strong. When he was in the garden, literally praying for his life, and he was in such anguish that he began to sweat drops of blood, at that moment we get to see a weak Jesus. We get to see a Jesus that says, God, if you could do it, please take this away. I don't want it. I'll do it, but I don't, I don't want to. And we get these aspects of the fact that even the strongest, and I don't think it's an accident that Jesus calls Peter the rock. Because that's the word we use all the time for, for the strong one. Oh, man, they're the rock in the relationship. If it wasn't for them, man, our relationship would be over. They're, they're the rock. Well, Peter the rock was the one that denied Christ three times and wept bitterly outside the gates. We, we don't always have to be these things. Last week, we, we went through the Beatitudes, and it ends with this Beatitude, Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. For just as the prophets are persecuted, so are you. And then, the, period, the next sentence is where we are today. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And it, 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 we, we tend to break up our Bible into sections because it's how it's written for us. But this was not broken up. This was, this was a continuous thought. It didn't have a headline that said, be the light and salt. And we said, oh, this is a different section we could read now. This is the very next thing that Jesus says after being persecuted. He says this. He says in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. Can you go back? Thanks. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? I just want to stop right there. And let you just hear a very practical example of this. Some of you eat noodles, right? But you probably eat noodles with something on them. My son, <laughs> he's going with this, he eats noodles completely plain. And when we're at restaurants, they say, do you want to put butter on that? We're like, no, don't, don't put anything on it. If there is a hint of anything, and don't you dare put parsley anywhere near it. Like if there's green in there, He'll get in his teeth. He'll be embarrassed. He, he played noodles, except for one thing, salt. This kid is going to have hypertension tomorrow. He has, he, he loves, and we'll salt, his, we'll salt the water, put the noodles in there. So they cook in salt water. Take them out, salt them again, put them in front of him, inevitably. Can I have the salt? We've already salted them, buddy. I don't taste it. Or, or I don't see it. I don't see it. Well, salt's pretty much clear, bro. I don't see it. And he'll get the salt. And if we let him salt, it resembles a snowstorm on top of noodles. And then he'll get about halfway through, and he'll say this, I need the salt. We'll say, you've already salted them. Yes, but it's not salty anymore. Yes, but it's not salty anymore. So for him, those noodles are now worthless because they are no longer salty. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The noodles. 
You are the light of the world. A town, on, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will be any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses those of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There is something that I pride this church on. And it's the fact that I believe that one thing we are always striving to communicate is that God's grace is big enough for all of your stuff. That God's grace is big enough to cover those things that you've brought in, your failures, your accomplishments. God's grace is big enough. And I, if I had one hope for people to take with them, it's the fact that God's grace is big enough. And that you can always run to the cross and always be flooded by the grace of God and forgiven completely of everything you've ever done. That, that is the one thing that I hope that everyone here takes away from this. The problem is, is we have these words these isms, the, the ones that you go to fancy schools to learn. And there's this word called antinomianism. And antinomianism means this. You could do whatever you want because all you have to do is pray about it. So feel free to sin all you want to. But when you go to bed that night, just make sure you pray and ask for forgiveness. And then you can wake up tomorrow and pretty much do the same thing and, and just live your life this way. And just, you know, God's grace is always there, so you can just live however you want to as long as you ask for forgiveness at the end of the night. You'll be okay. This idea that grace is so cheap. Because, see, we have a problem, too, with this idea of free and this idea of cheap. Like, there are low-budget things that are not cheap. And there are expensive things that are very cheap that break within one or two things. This is something that we convey to our kids all the time as growing up with a dollar store. The thing about a dollar store is everyone feels like a millionaire. Like you can walk into the dollar store with 10 bucks, and you're like, I can buy anything in this place. It's how like famous people must feel walking into every store. You know, they, they walk in, they're like, can you imagine Bill Gates walking in going, I can buy everything in this store twice. That's how I feel when I walk into a dollar store. Problem is that when you buy something in a dollar store, it is probably going to last as long as you would think something's going to buy at the dollar store. Because it's not just inexpensive, but it's also cheap. We have a problem thinking that grace being free is something to exploit because it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Grace is free. We can do whatever we want with it. Problem is grace is very expensive. It's kind of like the freedom of our country. The fact that we get to do this, that we are doing right now, we take for granted because it's free. But freedom always costs somebody something. 
Grace always costs somebody something. Grace cost this idea that God himself was going to leave heaven in order for us to be able to see how he lives and die on a cross. That costs something for us to have this grace that is free to us, that we can't do anything to earn. And so we have this idea that grace is so expendable that we can just live how we want to. Paul himself says in Romans that should we sin more so that grace abounds because wherever there's sin, there's grace, so should we just keep sinning? There's a version of the Bible called the Cotton Patch Bible. It it was written for slaves by slaves. And the, the, the version actually says, should we sin more? Hell no. Because that's what Paul was saying. It was that clear. It was that big. It was like, no, you don't understand. Don't do that. You, you don't just sin more because we want the grace to abound. There's a cost of grace. There's a cost of this thing that we're entering into. So who are we? Jesus says, you will be persecuted, and blessed are you for that. Because you are the light of the world. Look, if you weren't the salt and the light of the world, you would not be persecuted. Salt only works when it is applied. This, this first century hearers of this is so amazing too because they didn't just have like the Morton blue canister of salt that you could just grab and fill your shakers up whenever you wanted to. They would go down into the salt water and they would pick reeds up and they would use those reeds as the way of preserving or flavoring food, the saltiness of those reeds. Well, they only had X amount of salt in them. Once they were done, they would take those reeds and they would throw them on their roof which they did most of their living because they didn't have air conditioning, and they would literally use that as their floor. And so when Jesus says, once you lose your saltiness, you are now worthless, you're thrown up, you're just going to be trampled on. Everyone is like, oh, yeah, we do that with our, how we salt our food anyway. Yeah, I get it. So this, this idea of once you stop being salty, you are just shingles. They totally understood it. We have lights in all of our rooms. In fact, I have a device that I can just tell to turn on the lights, and it does that for me. Not to Julie for some reason. But I just come in and I say, turn on the living room lights, and all the lights come on. And we take it, we, we, we take it for granted that we have this thing. Well, in first century Palestine, you had one little gravy boat full of oil, and a floating wick. That was your light. Which for us, we're thinking, gosh, that's not... But we we talk about this every time we introduce connecting time. Is this idea that even the smallest light in a dark, dark room can be everything. So when when you're pitch black and you have your little candle burning, it's good. Problem is, they also didn't have Bic lighters. So it's not like you could just light your candle or light your wick, just the boom, lit. It's, it's kind of like the childproof ones where people are like, and I can always hear them. And I think, oh, is the lighter broken or are they just, oh, yeah, they just didn't push the button. They had to go through a process of lighting this wick. So when they left their house, they would take a stone pot and they would put it over their lamp. One, so their house didn't burn down. And two, just preserve everything. So they would, they would literally take a bowl to cover their lamp. And so Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You can't just go out for the night and hide your candle and then come back and just take it off. It always has to be on. It always has to be glowing. We have to live in this way that you are these things. You are the complete reflection and imitation and ambassador of Jesus. 
The problem is, when you leave this place and you're pulling out of the parking lot, whether you have a K-Love sticker on the back of your car or not, if you cut someone off pulling out, that's a church person that cut me off. It's the same thing that we were talking about last week with these invitations. If you go out to lunch today and you leave a terrible tip and this card, you've done that as a representative of Jesus. And I'll tell you, as a server that used to get the million-dollar tracks for a tip, you fold it up, looks like money, you open it up, and it says, your life is worth a million dollars. That's awesome, but now I can't pay rent. We, we are constantly, as the light and the salt, we are out there trying to be the representatives of Jesus. And salt only works if it's applied. Light only works when it's lit. So we need to be able to come. The, the reason why we gather here today, the, there's an old theologian that once said that the church is the only institution that does not exist for its members. But somewhere along the line, we've changed that for the church to exist for its members. But we need to be able to be in a place where we go, and we do. The, look, I, I, don't, I didn't just look, and in staff meeting, the three of us sitting around going, we have a ton of time on our hands. Let's just plan a bunch of stuff. Let's just have all this stuff to do, because I, I, I'm kind of bored at home, and I need something to do. That is not what we did. We looked, and we said, okay, We've been cooped up for a long time in the coffee shop sanctuary. We're not cooped up anymore. We've got room to stretch. I know Mark and Zandy want their own row. It's nice. But we, look at this one. This one's empty. Anyone want their own row? <laughs> we, we've been cooped up for so long that we forgot what it was like to exist for other people. We only existed for ourselves. So this, this, this challenge and this call during this time of epiphany, this time of realizing things, this time of, of waking up to light. By the way, just a side note, how many of you guys appreciate Ben's epiphany guitar? I, don't you think we should do a little fundraiser and get him one every liturgical color? No? Okay. We, we have to wake up and realize that now we exist for everyone else. So look, as much as my kids are excited about Frozen 2, I'm going to tell you this. Movie night's a failure if new people don't come. Is it fun for us to gather around and watch a movie together and get popcorn all over? It's fun for you because you don't have to clean it up. But it, movie night, if we just get together and watch a movie, it's fun. But that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because we truly believe that we need to be out there. We, we need to invite people in here. We need to find out what's going on. We need to do these things. We just made a bunch of new signs. I don't know if you've seen them. They're just scattered around. And, and one of them says, service time at 10 o'clock. And I'm sure some of you said, duh, I'm here at 10 o'clock. I know what time service starts. But you probably don't know that the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts use our building all week long. And there's never been an opportunity for them to know what time service starts. <laughs> so we thought, what a no-brainer it would be to just simply have when service starts. So they walk in, they see it. There's this, this, this need for us to be salt and light. This desire because it's who we are. It, it, we are the ones that bring light and flavor and preserve the world that we're in.
We are the light of the world. We are the salt. Light that's not shine is worthless. Salt that's not salty is worthless. So how do we do it? Well, that's the second part. And this part's not as fun because it actually holds us accountable for something. Grace is free. You can't earn your salvation. But salvation is always going to result in action. The acceptance of grace is always going to result in action. So what does that look like? It looks like now that we are celebrating and serving a Jesus that did not come to abolish the law, but came to be the law, that, that, that came to show the way. That, so, so here's that gets weird, right? We automatically think back to, yeah, but I thought that we weren't supposed to be these legalistic people that do all these things. When Jesus talks about being the law, he's not talking about the 613 commandments the Pharisees followed. Because remember, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing those two things, he has taken all ten commandments and made them into two, that then that is the thing, right? Because now your motivation is different. Your motivation is not just to keep the Sabbath holy, so you make all these different rules around your own life so you can keep the Sabbath holy. Sabbath says you can't walk more than a thousand foot from your house. So they would hang a hat at a neighbor's house that's 900 feet away, and now that's their house. Sabbath says you can't drag a chair across the floor because you might be plowing. All, all the Sabbath laws that they created, Jesus says, no, you're getting, you're getting bogged down in that. What, 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 okay, but what's, what's idolatry? What does that look like? You know, I, if I love my ox too much, is that, is that an idol? Do I worship my ox because he can plow my field? What's an idol? And they made all these rules that went with 10 commandments to 613 commandments to make sure you kept the 10 commandments. And Jesus said, there's only two. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, then you're not going to commit idolatry. You're, you're going to keep the Sabbath holy. You're going to do these things that Jesus, that, that, that the Exodus talks about, that the Ten Commandments talk You're going to do them if you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal from them. You're not going to covet. You're not going to commit adultery. So these two things, Jesus says, here's the heart of it. We get so bogged down in the rules that we, but here's, here's what I want you to hear. This is the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is this, love God and love people. It's the reason why we exist. We exist to connect people with God and with each other. We're going to do that by being salt and light. Who are we? We're the salt of the earth. We're the city on a hill. We're the beacon. We're the one providing the light to, to light your path. We're the one to light the rocks so you don't go into them. We're the one that is supposed to be bringing flavor into the world. That's who we are. What do we do? We love our Lord, our God, with all of our hearts, souls, and minds. And we love our neighbor as ourselves, And we do those things, and that becomes our motivation. And everything makes sense. Everything just happens. Everything will be. You will be salt. Because we don't, we don't always understand that guardrails are there because of grace. Parameters are given to us so we know where we can be. I know some of you, you love your guardrails, though, too much. And you want to get as close as you possibly can to the edge. 
and look over. But without them, like Julie won't even drive on a mountain road that doesn't have guardrails. Guard, those guardrails, those commandments, especially boiled down to the two things, that is an act of grace from God to know. You realize that during this time of Judaism, the God Yahweh was so different that people didn't understand him. There was a couple things different about Yahweh. One, he didn't require you to kill your kids. Even if, even if he asked you to at one time, he's going to provide a ram. There's no human sacrifice in Judaism. But here's the biggest one. People knew what God expected of them. In every other world religion at this time, no one knew. They just did random sacrifices because they didn't know what to do. Their sacrifices got crazier and crazier because they had to appease the gods. They had to make their gods happy. But Yahweh did this. Here's some tablets. This is how I want you to live. And so we knew what was expected of us. And then Jesus comes and says, you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. That is how you will interact. So when people ask, what, you, what do you do? You can tell them what you do. But don't let that reflect about who you are. Because no matter what you do, Paul says that we are to do everything for the glory of God. So what you do is different than who you are. I don't care how medial you think your job is, you always have the opportunity to be salt and light. In fact, sometimes the job that you see as more prestigious has less interaction with people like that. You always have the opportunity to be what God has created you to be, regardless of what you do. Because what you do is you love. You love God, you love your neighbor, and you let that be what dictates your life. So be the light. Be the saltiness. And if there's something, this is why, this is why the season of Lent is so important. We're going to be doing Ash Wednesday coming up here in a couple weeks, and that introduces the season of Lent. You know what Lent does? Is it allows you to throw out all the unsalty parts of your life. It allows you to look at where salt is not flourishing and let you throw it on top of the roof and trample it because it's worthless. And it lets you season your life with that salt in the places it hasn't got to in a while. That's why we go through a time of repentance. I mean, why, why would you want to celebrate Lent? 40 days of repentance and penance and fasting? That's ridiculous. Unless you let it be a time where God searches you and just gets rid of that saltiness. So when you're halfway through with your noodles and you start craving more salt for them or you throw them out. You are the salt of the earth. Go and be salt. You are the light of the world. Go and be light. Why? Because you're going to love your Lord with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to go into connecting time, and this might be a good opportunity for you to search that. Where do you need more salt? Who do you need to be salt with? I saw a picture on Facebook the other day that it was a challenge to pray for one person for 30 days. Pray for one individual. Just pick somebody. Pray for that person for 30 days. Their well-being, 
Not, not, not just that they'll come to church, but just that they prosper, that they do well, that their life changes. Pray for that person. That's what it looks to be salty. That's what it looks like to be the light. Just do that. So maybe this morning you want that person revealed to you. Maybe this morning you want to just pray for salt in your life so you can go be salty. You know, whenever I, whenever I hear that second commandment of love your neighbor as yourself, I, I get flooded by people that I know don't love themselves. And the command is love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then I, I think about the hang-up that most, some people will take out of here with I don't even love myself, so how do I do that? The bottom line is, is you, you do feed yourself and take care of yourself. So there's, there's, there's little things you do. You may not think you love yourself, but you still nourish yourself. You still take care of yourself. So take care of your neighbor in that same way. Maybe you need to figure out who your neighbor is. Maybe you need to spend some time thinking about who it is that you need to bring to hear a message, to do something, to bring food. I don't know. That's, what this, that's the great thing about connecting time is you can use it for whatever you need to this morning. Pastor Jess is going to come up and explain the stations, go over them. I know this gets redundant for some, but remember, church isn't for you. It is for us. But we never know if there's somebody in here that has no idea what these stations are, and it can seem kind of cultish unless we explain them. <laughs> So let that be the reason why, that you hear it again. And try a new station today. Figure it out. We got to be the light, shine for all to see. Bring the glory to the King. Yeah, we got to be the light. Don't hide your love away. Save the for a rainy day. Everyone, hearing hatred come on down.